everybody, and welcome to our podcast called Connecting Through Commerce, powered by Aramex. Over the next couple weeks, we will be dabbling with some interviews of some business legends. These business legends are either going to be telling us amazing stories, casting visions of the future, and just trying to set the scene for what is no doubt a very, very exciting next couple of years in the world of commerce, e-commerce, and traditional retail, and omni-channel, and all these other things in between. Join us, and I'm sure you will spend the time well. Um, no, no, thanks for that, because I think I think Sets you're quite time. right. You know, the crystal balls and the coming from the future, that, that is often attached to futurists. I've heard it more than a few times. So I, I guess bringing it back to the here and now, we were chatting on, on the phone the other day, and this word digitalization came up again. And... You know, you kind of trip over it because it's the di- di- digitalization. It's a big, lots of syllable word. What What is the big deal with digitalization? What does it actually mean? Why is it important right now? How is that kind of getting us into that future quite quickly? Yeah. Um, well, I think let's take a step back and maybe look at a at an industry where we've seen how digitalization has radically transformed that industry, and that industry would be media. Um, sure. If you look at 20, 20, 30 years ago, I was chatting to my wife the other day and we were reminiscing about TV shows that were on TV in the 80s. Uh, and you waited for five o'clock and then the schedule started yeah. and you watched TV and you were fed a certain <laughs> bouquet of, of media and everyone consumed that. The interesting thing is, is that digitalization has just opened up access to the tools to create media mm-hmm. uh, and to distribute that media. So what's happened is that it's taken an industry which was very much reserved for people who were in the know, you know, the experts, the professionals. Controlled. Yeah, I work yeah. for the SABC. That means that I'm one of the few that can work in media. And digitalization has just opened up uh, opened up that industry. It's allowed access. It's for very, uh, for, for, for next to nothing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hugely affordable. So now if I can afford to buy a decent smartphone, I can record a message, put it on YouTube for free and distribute it to the world. Uh, and potentially get paid. Exactly. So. Good point. Yeah. Good so idea. I think so if we use that as an analogy yeah and we say look at the look at how it has changed that industry the industry is radically different now the sabc's you know they can't make a profit even though they've got huge government support they're struggling to make a profit whereas a guy like casey neistat who's Mm. a very well-known video blogger in uh, the united states he by himself is making huge amounts of profit probably more than the entire sabc Mm is and he's just one person so i think that's uh digitalization the tool the the change the transition that's the effect that it is uh is bringing to all sorts of industries so media is a fantastic example of that because because it's so relatable Mm. and i guess the other obvious one right now that's happening not to skew it back into e-commerce but COVID's brought about this need to transact not in yeah remotely not in person safely etc etc um and the internet was obviously there ready and waiting yeah Uh, is it gonna go back i mean you know what what is the sort of 
Is there a view on people really love the connection, you know, omni-channel, it's, it's kind of, yes, sometimes I'm going to be online, sometimes I'm going to go and noodle around in the store for a while. Mm. Or has this been a step change that we battle to go back from? So I think what's interesting in South Africa, as you well know, the penetration of e-commerce as a channel has historically been quite low and disappointing. Um, It was at 2% of retail Mm. uh, turnover. I think that's probably doubled now. Um, So I think what the pandemic has done is it's created the urgency to incentivize people to try something new mm. uh, because there were no other options and i think what's happened is that a whole new group of people have tried it and they kind of like it uh, and they will probably stick to it I, they probably won't stick to it as religiously as what they did during hard lockdowns mm. but i think what's happened is that they've realized wow there's a whole world of convenience here that i don't necessarily want to just get rid of because the pandemic has yeah. passed by So I think that's the change, is that it's changed people's belief in something. Because before, I think people were a little bit nervous because is it safe? I don't know how this thing works. I don't know how to download an app. All the reasons we know that people don't don't want to try these things, those reasons have been taken away. Um, And because of that, I think it's just changed the way people view e-commerce, the way that they view the digitalization of retail. And of course, it's a feedback loop, right? Because if the market's moving more online, there's going to be more incentive for people who weren't online to start going for that market. Um, Right. I mean, we've always seen the corporates being quite slow on the uptake. I guess it's easier to open a new store and do what you've done Mm. than to penetrate into e-commerce. That's shifted. I mean, I've seen some big investment going on in, in a lot of the corporate's e-commerce ventures. Yeah. I mean, ha- is is that going to represent a change for them that, that some of these super regional malls stop attracting brand new stores from every single retail? What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think, as you said, there wasn't a lot of thinking that went into retail growth. Uh, it was very much the case where you would just extend your physical store footprints mm-hmm as you want it to grow. I think now there are questions being asked as to what the, the better route might be. And I think about uh, an international retailer, Zara. As we know, Zara mm. is, is a huge uh, conglomerate mm. and they've got you know, thousands of stores around the world. Uh, and understandably, Zara, mm. more than most retailers, has really been hit by the pandemic because they sell garments which are meant for you to go out. You know, they're meant for you to go to a party and <laughs> to an event. No one's buying like ball gowns right now, you know. <laughs> uh, Except the YouTube ball gown channel. Yeah, they're so they're kind of looking at their strategy of store rollouts and going, well, you know, we put a lot of effort into creating an in-store experience uh, in the Zara footprint, but now people are more inclined to buy our goods online. Mm. So they are spending, get this number, they are spending two billion US dollars on making sure that their app is one of the best shopping apps in the world. Just and their on their shop, app? Just on their app. And their app is already an amazing app. They are spending two billion US dollars on the optimization of that app. Now, I almost want to make him say it one more time. Yeah, say it again. Two billion. Two billion. That's a huge number. So that's a huge number. But okay, so it's not just on moving a couple of fonts around and making sure that the thing, you know, loads nicely. It's also about the logistics. Of course. So how might we redesign our value chain to make sure that we deliver an experience which is in line with 
our vision of the business. Um, I think they tackle the problem from that perspective. They start off by saying, what is it we want our customers to feel? What do we want them to experience? Yeah. Now let's work back from there and design the systems uh, and the processes that are going to deliver on that. I mean, firsthand, we know that. Zara, Zara has re-engineered using Aramex. I mean, they were initially shipping finished orders to South Africa and distributing last mile here. Very quickly, they were on to the idea of so rather remote storing all the... Before yeah. that website launched, that you could only get Zara in, in the stores. stores. And there were, I think mm. there were three stores in the whole of South Africa. Mm. Two in Joburg yeah. and one here. So if you didn't ever, you know, come to Cape yeah. Town or Joburg, you just didn't. Or you traveled overseas. I remember that was the thing. Yeah. You went overseas and you could go to Zara. You could mm. get the jeans and the thing and come back and you'd, no one else would have what you mm. had. Um, and then they had the online, and it was a big hype for South Africa because mm. we obviously didn't have that. And when you get it now, so now it's you order online, yeah. it comes direct from Spain. This beautiful box with the tissue paper. Yeah. Mm. Like a love note from Zara saying, you know, how wow. much we love a your note. phone. Hey, Jada, yuppie yeah. chef's books, where did yeah. that come from? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I wonder if it's handwritten. Uh, I, I think they've been able to keep that experience yeah. of going into the store and that same like hype that not everyone's going to have mm. what I have. Right. And they've jumped quickly on trying to fulfill quicker. So, so a big move for them now is to move the stock into South Africa. So now they're picking and they're kitting and they're, f they're finishing the orders here yeah. and being able to deliver it Sweet several market. days quicker. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story of quickly reacting. And I mean, one of, the, one of the thoughts I was having here is much like South Africa lagged the world in terms of cellular phones, for example. Um, and then when they finally got onto the bandwagon, we leapfrogged all the established players because suddenly we were digital and they were all sitting running the analog systems for years and years. Are we, are we likely to see that now from the corporates who've been lagging? I mean, do you think there's, a, there's an advantage, a kind of late starter advantage now? Um, okay, so I'm gonna say something a little bit controversial. Excellent. I, <laughs> I think the leapfrogging that happens in Africa doesn't necessarily come from the corporates <laughs> all of the time. I, I have to be careful as I say that. The because budget might come from it. Yeah, because there are corporates that are able to do some radical things when presented with a blank canvas. And I'm thinking yes. of the, the telco companies. Uh, an MTN or a Vodacom, I think that they've facilitated the leapfrogging of, uh, of their technology in markets where it didn't necessarily because it exist. Yeah. Because it was yeah. new. I think the challenge is with a corporate is that they have a very set way of applying their methodology, which understandably is about scale. It's not necessarily about um, it's not necessarily about reinventing themselves overnight. So I don't know if the the leapfrogging will necessarily be driven by them by corporates yeah. by corporate. I think that the the real innovation and the real adoption of new techniques and new technologies in order to get access to markets will come from slightly smaller players um, who yeah I just see they mm. see the opportunity to to use the tools which are becoming more and more affordable in order to gain access. You know, you, you think about retail 20 years ago, the only way that you could participate in retail is you either got a shop in Cavendish mm. Square or you were lucky enough to get a table at Green Market Square. 
you know, there were squares all over the place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you were either at Green Market Square or you're in Cavendish Square. Yeah. And that was it. You know, nowadays, I think you have more options. It's, yeah. it's quite easy to start a Shopify account uh, and to sign a contract with Aramex uh, and to get products <laughs> and you. to get products into people's hands. Um, and, and do you, I mean, the, the eBay, the bid or buy, the, the kind of platform for trade and exchange against the other things that we talked about, reuse and recycle and how are we fixing our and healing our, yeah. our sort of environment. Mm. Do you think that poses a big growth area? I mean, I don't know how much you've you've thought about this, but secondhand goods, you know, particularly in a kind of fast fashion where everybody actually wants mm. to be wearing something new every weekend. Yeah. Trade makes sense. It's still in good nick. Yeah, I think you make such a great point there. And I think it is a huge growth opportunity in South Africa. Um, you know, we've recently just moved. And when when we bought our new house, we bought all the furniture with it. And because of that, we needed to get rid of that mm. furniture. And we did it on Facebook Marketplace, mm. um, which, by the way, is a great platform if you're wanting to resell mm. things. And I was surprised as to how popular it is and how active and just how efficient people are um, at yeah. using Facebook Marketplace. So I definitely think within certain circles, there is uh, an appetite and there is um, a, a market for mm. that. I think what you really want to do is you want to see um, what is that marketplace look like for the rest of Africa. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about Africa is that it's there's no <laughs> one solution for Africa because Africa is 54 different countries mm. and there's a different culture in each one of those countries. But if you look at uh, Lagos, Nigeria, you know they have a market there, which is a vibrant physical trading yeah. market. Um, do they need a digital interface to do that? Or is their current setup okay? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that they've already got like quite an efficient marketplace. Mm -hmm. But if a digital platform is more efficient or it gives them greater reach or greater diversity of choice, then yes, it most certainly will take off. You see, I, think, I mean, personally, I, I wonder how much is going to... I mean, these are multiple thoughts, but the, this globalization has created this idea that if I want something, I'm going to go look for it online. And right now, I'm busy trying to find a car. So I'm going, do I buy a new car or a second-hand car? And the reality is finding a second-hand car is a schlep. Mm. It's a lot of hunting and scratching and mm. everything. And by the time you, you know, there are lots of platforms. You can see all the cars that are available. By the time you actually get a response back, oh, sorry, it's sold. Oh, yes, it was a great deal. It's sold. Right. So that lag is is also part of the problem. And I wonder... I'm probably going to end up going to a Cape Town-based car lot and going. That's the one I'm going to I'm going to mm. buy because it's there right then, and I can walk out with it. Which, which is sort of the discussion around e-commerce that we've had yeah. for years and years. You know that immediacy. There's, there's a time frame, mm. um, and and there, it needs to be in stock and present and everything else. And I, I think the, the the secondhand trade might end up moving back to well, I'm going to set up a lot in Green Market Square, or maybe Cavendish Square in the middle there. And this is what I've got, buy it or not, because that listing process and mm. so it's, it's an interesting kind of uh, balance, I guess, as to how much of that trade will happen online, like you're saying, and how much will just be in person. I've got it. Do you want it? Yes. Well, I think that that is the case now, but I, yeah. I think the way the future is unfolding is that I would assume based on uh, 
the trajectory of technology and this obsession with data mining, I would assume that in time, your app, your smartphone knows I want to carve it for you. Well, <laughs> well, not only knows that, but would also be able to aggregate the options for you in yes. real time. Yeah, um, I would assume that that is something that a, a big company like Google or Facebook or any of these massive platforms would be working on right now. Because ultimately, that's what you want from a convenience point of view. As you say, the the facility is there for you to view and access, but it's still a little bit rudimentary. Mm. I think that there's a, a lot more polishing that's going to happen. And as artificial intelligence and machine learning gets better and better, I think that's what the benefit yeah. will be in the future. Uh, also take away like the potential fraudsters. So mm. yesterday we were talking about your car and you're like, mm. no, the deal's too good. Definitely. It's, yes. Something must be wrong with the car. Um, and unfortunately, we're still in that mindset where we could be in a scam and we don't want to be a part of it. But if the Googles and the Facebooks take this this data mining and, and change it and see, well, oh, that's an anomaly, I'm going to kick you out straight away, mm. you, you won't be afraid of being in a scam anymore. Mm. You know right. I mean? you know, you'll be able to trust it and, and go with that. And now we can throw in something like uh, crypto technology mm. because isn't that what crypto is supposed to do? It's yeah. supposed to be a um it's facilitating trust Correct. and what you're talking about there is a lack of trust in the buyer uh, or they might have a lack of trust in you know yeah uh, yeah so <laughs> that, pretty dodgy too it's yeah. su <laughs> it's supposed to it's supposed to bring people together uh, yeah. to make sure that you encrypt that trust um, so that's why I think that these technologies are interesting when you start combining them in creative ways in order to solve these kind of problems. I'm glad you said that because that segues nicely into our next episode for this podcast, which mm. is an interview with, with a guy called Tim Hogans. Who, okay. Who set up, um, I mean, he's, he's, he's made money elsewhere as an entrepreneur, but he set up a trade platform now, which is combining blockchain, combining secondhand trade. Um, it's, it's an e-commerce platform and he has visions of, of expanding that up into Africa. So that's, that'll be on the next episode, but it's a, the reason it got my interest was exactly that. It kind of takes a lot of the uncertainty of a second-hand trade in particular and solves it with escrow mm. and, and uh, just the reliability of something like when it's delivered and the guy's happy, he says, yes, I've got it. And then the payment completes, Yeah, um, which is a good fusion of lots of current technology. And I must admit, just on that topic of escrow, I'm surprised that there isn't uh, facility a facility for that. I know that Standard Bank had something. I'm not sure if mm. they're actively marketing it. But why is it that there isn't an escrow uh, facility yeah. for this kind of uh, for this kind of trade? So if any banks are listening, guys, there's a there's a glaring there, a glaring yeah. innovative opportunity there. I think I think it's starting to occur more in conversations I'm in now. People have realized their gaps. Mm. Um, I, I think it's how much risk does somebody want. If that platform balloons and they're suddenly having to manage you know, billions, yeah. um, it could get complicated. So, and, and it's yet another fund to try and audit and manage securely. And, but for sure, I mean, I think the need is there. And, and I think it will drive people away from traditional platforms mm. uh, where that trust has become unsettling. You, know, you don't want to exchange goods there because half the time people are not getting paid. Yeah, um, yeah and I think that's, I, I suppose what we're touching on is just 
the fact that we are at the beginning of this journey mm. it's uh it really is amazing that we kind of think oh e-commerce has arrived uh finally <laughs> we are, we're just scratching the surface yeah. here i think when you start combining these ideas and you start really solving the problems mm. that exist it really will open up a world of opportunity for for business and for people uh in regions like sub-saharan mm. africa i think it's hugely exciting do, do you think the little E and e-commerce is heading for extinction. I mean, is commerce inherently moving towards technology? I used the example the other day, if I've used Google Maps to find somebody, mm. or I've looked online already at what they sell and confirmed that that's the person I want to shop with, is that not the E already to some extent? Without the internet, would I have found that person? Yeah, it's such a great point because exactly what does it stand for? You know, originally I would assume electronic commerce, mm. uh, but show me any commerce that isn't, that isn't electronic. Yeah. And I think that we have the assumption that e-commerce is uh, I pack item in box and then it gets shipped to customer who never actually sees me. That's our current definition exactly. of e-commerce. But I would argue that e-commerce incorporates understanding uh, your customer on a far greater level and yeah. using digital tools in order to capture that information, processing that information in order for you to deliver a better service to that person. Surely that's yeah. also e-commerce. Um, so I think it's a very good point because we need to start looking at what aspect of e-commerce are we really talking about? Yeah. Uh, because I think, <laughs> I think if you're a retailer, uh, or a business that isn't engaged in some form of yeah. e-commerce, then are you even? Do you even exist? It's it. It just doesn't I make. Know it. what I think on that? No, I mean I, I won't find them because I'm not looking through any traditional means to find a business now. Yeah, um, and I'm not going to likely divert off a road to stop somewhere that I don't know is selling what I need. Right. So as much as the, I mean, I, I was struck in Australia. The business names. Uh, you've been to Australia, I imagine. Mm. The businesses are all named <laughs> quite. Correctly, you know, if they sell hammers and nails, the shop will be called Hammers and Nails. That's it. Um, we we would have some other fancy name for it, and so there's there's already a degree I of you go. exactly. You know, <laughs> there's, there's some you know there's some kind of abstraction, and I'm not sure that they will have nails there. Mm -hmm. Maybe they sell hammers or yeah. Look, Australians are very black and white very, kind of people. Very, you know, they need they got to know what it is that they're walking into before they before they do. And in a way, if you don't have that certainty. I don't, I don't want to take that chance. I don't have the time to take the chance. So mm -hmm. I've already looked for it online. Yeah, and yeah. I think, I think it's an interesting, your, your point's right. If you're not online yet, it's probably too late. It's not actually too late. You can still get online. Yeah. But, um, Look, I think what I would argue is that it is, you know, am I stating the obvious here? It is imperative that if you are in business, you are thinking into the future. You are forward thinking. You yeah. value innovation. You need to constantly be innovating your approach to how you deliver value to your customers because your customers sure are. They are evolving all of the time. And if you are not evolving at least in step or slightly ahead of them, then how are you gonna continue to offer value to them? Um, and I think this is part of what we're talking mm -hmm. about is that um, I suppose sometimes business or maybe I'm you know pointing a finger but sometimes business can get into they can get lulled into a false sense of security and they can kind of say well we built it so there it is just come and get it you yeah. know don't mm -hmm. 
don't come and ask me questions as to how I'm growing or changing or innovating. Just yeah. come and buy the stuff that we have. And I think slowly but surely we're starting to realize, well, that mindset is just yeah. no longer applicable. You need to be constantly moving and shaking and asking new questions and driving your business into the future. Well, those are the guys who've been left behind. I mean, it's, it's the transactional mindset. There it is, it works, use it. You know, I'd take Amazon as an example. I mean, they haven't stopped innovating Hmm. since they began. We, we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that. Now we're going to expand here. And right. they've obviously added service types along the way and, and all sorts of other products. Um, but there's no stopping them. I mean, in, in terms of their constant innovation, uh, they, they were experimenting with physical stores, as, as we know, and we've discussed this. Uh, it, it's led a lot of people to kind of move into the physical space. Do you think that that move into a brick and mortar from an online uh, sort of, I guess, established base will be stunted a little bit now by by the shift we've seen with COVID and the, the re-advance back into e-commerce? Or, I mean, are malls dead? Are, well, for, I guess Amazon and anyone else who's following Amazon's lead. So are malls going to slow down again? Or So my personal opinion, you know, obviously you don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I personally think no. Uh, because I I think a mall or a physical shopping experience offers you something different to what e-commerce offers you. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's the, it is the experience. Yeah. It's kind of an outing. It's uh, in the '90s they talked about shoppertainment. I don't yeah. know if that term is still relevant, but it is about the experience of going to a mall. Mm. I mean, look. What else are you going to do in Joburg? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, I'm just being facetious. But it's, it is the experience of going and meeting up with yeah. your friends and going for a little bit of a shop. Uh, and I don't think that need is going to disappear. Mm. So I, I don't think it's, it's going to change. And a lot of people are now starting to talk about uh, the roaring 20s. We're thinking back to the 1920s and saying, well, at that time, the world had gone through a depression. And as the world emerged from that depression, people went nuts. You know, fashion changed and uh, music changed and the way people interacted changed. And I think in some sense, we're kind of anticipating a similar explosion of culture and explosion of excitement back to that to that time. Now I'm not feeling sad. That's actually quite optimistic. <laughs> yeah. I, I like no, that. No, I, yeah. but again, I think it is about saying that's the opportunity that is available to us. Mm. It's whether or not we choose it. Um, and I, I'm hoping that society does choose it because I don't know about you, but I'm thoroughly depressed by this pandemic. I think it's been terrible. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's lonely. It's, it's yeah. you feel isolated. You just want to go and see people again. And I think it's, it's, it's linked to this feeling that that's the only option right now. You don't have a whole lot of cho you know, agency in the choice making. Right. I, I can't, right. I mean, I was reading yesterday, have, have restaurants fundamentally shifted into now making food for delivery? Mm. And has that kind of dining experience, you know, gone? And I, and I think for a lot of people who've had to close, yes, the answer is yes. It, it shifted so much that they couldn't sustain it. Will it come back? I think it will come back because people want to go and sit out to your point mm. but i think they want the choice to be able to do either you know am, am i sitting late at night thinking about something do i need to buy it yes i'm going to do that through an online channel yeah if i'm out and about and i feel like an outing i'm going to go and do that in person yeah i think what's great is that it's no longer an either or it's an and yeah. um yeah. because i live in seapoint in the seapoint mm. area 
and a brand new restaurant, the Grand Pavilion, has just opened up around the corner. And that place is packed every single night. Mm. There's no social distancing there. People are, you know, and it's not a cheap it's restaurant. <laughs> it's not a cheap restaurant. It's, uh, it's a lovely restaurant yeah. and people are wanting to be there. So, but at the same time, I know that you can order at home kits from the yeah. test kitchen uh, or potluck club. So mm. I think people are choosing, you know, one or the other, but what's great is that you have the choice available to you. It's an I and. Think, yeah. I don't think you can ever replace being wined and dined. And I think COVID has really sort of taken that option away. And so now mm. when it is available, mm. I mean, there really is nothing better than you sitting there and you've got a smiling, um, you know, waitron that's coming to top up your wine and you're chatting. And it's just, you know, that, that feeling that sort of that non-depressed yeah. warm, yes. warmth of being in a restaurant. You, no matter how amazing you are at cooking in your box that's arrived and cooking your wine, it's not the same feel because you know that you're going to have to do your dishes. Exactly. I was about to say the dishes. <laughs> I mean, that's, is there anything worse? Let's <laughs> get a dishwasher. It's With a dishwasher. It's an amazing it's technology. technology. You know, it's the cleaning the oil off the side of the stove. And it's, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it's a, there's a spoil in that. Yes, it is. And it's yeah. not all the time, but I think it goes back to the more discussion is the reason why I believe most will still remain online is because you don't want to go to the shops every day of mm. your life. Exactly. You have other things to do. You might have done something in COVID that you really enjoy doing after work, whether it's walking or running or, you know, yeah. whatever the case is, um, that you want to continue to do. And that would have been your shopping time pre-COVID, mm. if we can call it that. Mm. And so while malls, I don't think, will be the same, they are still people going to them and they will but it will be in an event like mm. you said you know it will be and i need a dress for a wedding and yeah. i can't see it online perfectly because it might be too cream that it's too white you know to wear to and retailers are going to have like to change that. how they deal with that event and it's going to need to be more theater and more well exactly on that point i actually think what's going to happen is that the mall experience is going to get better mm. uh, because the option of just getting the shopping utility yeah. can be done online fairly easily yeah so if i'm going to make the effort to go to a mall then you better make sure that my experience there is amazing get and remarkable yeah so i think it's going to force people who do have brick and mortar to just up their game in the experience of what it is that they offer yeah. because otherwise mall space just becomes too expensive mm. uh, it's easier to deliver the utility through other through other channels yeah. uh, so I I think malls are gonna change yes but for the better I think it's it's actually gonna herald a new way of looking at it as a as a route to market I've got one one final thought I guess on on e-commerce where is the subscription model I mean this idea of pool chemicals every month or garden supplies every month or mm. you know even even the simple fresh roast coffee that I want every two weeks I haven't seen it I haven't seen a great success there mm. is it because the idea doesn't work and people like to be able to pick different flavor rusks month to month to month or an experiment with different coffees I mean what's the thought on do you have thoughts on that um, it seems like a great idea yeah I mean look Netflix is a subscription uh, sure. Dollar Shave Club is a subscription. A, but there are not a lot of success stories here. In South Africa. Yeah. I think, again, because these businesses need a lot of customers. In order to be successful, you've got to be able to scale this mm. thing to 
to quite a level. Um, and in South Africa, with the penetration of e-commerce, we don't necessarily have that That's scale. Mm. Um, and I think the vast majority of South Africans just haven't necessarily been able to access that. So not only do you have a small population who are, mm. you know, reluctant to go online, but you know, you're percent of a percent of a yes. percent. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. tiny. I mean, I think at most, I'll stand to be corrected, but people of significant means in South Africa, I think you can kind of look at about 120,000 households. Mm. I mean, that's not a market, that's, that's a project. I think that's um, the challenge. The significant means has been such a deterrent up until now. Right. So I think this is now about penetration of, of not having this high price point and entry point and, and that boils back down to trying to distribute this, you know, distribution. Right, as we're involved in, yeah, um, and make sure that it, the journeys are not as long or not as risky or not as expensive. Yeah, um, and maybe what I would argue is that there's a, a, a small business that I think won. You know, Cape Talk hosts these mm. small business awards, and I think it was last year or the year before they won that uh, competition. And it's a little business that in a township they deliver gas canisters, gas mm. bottles, uh, which is. A subscription Perfect model subscription, it yeah. might not tick the bill of dollar shave club but i would still categorize it as yeah. a subscription model which is hugely successful yeah. so i think it depends on how you define it and how you look at it and i think there's most certainly opportunity so they might be quite localized i mean that's that's right. quite possible that it's within a neighborhood they start to right. a distribution of black bags or right. whatever it is and i think that's yeah. that's the thing about south africa and it's the thing with a lot of these topics that we talk about as futurists you know one of the biggest topics if you're a futurist is the future of work every business wants to know what is the future of work and i would say well the future of work is radically different mm -hmm. if you work in new york city as opposed to if you work in bangladesh mm -hmm. the, you know the future of work is just not the same discussion that yeah. you that you're having and I think it's the same with the subscription mm. model is that will Dollar Shave Club work in South Africa? Meh, you know, it's going to mm. be tricky. But I think that within the context of the needs that exist in South Africa, so the needs and the gaps and the problems, will that mechanism solve certain problems in a South African situation? For sure. Mm. I'm just thinking about uh, people trying to get access to medicines. Um, and I think there are a number of small businesses that mm. do have a model where they deliver medicines to people yeah. uh, in, in an area. Yeah. Um, so I would just look at the context and understand what the problems are and where the gaps are. And then if a subscription model is applicable to solving that problem, then can most it, certainly. And can it scale then? You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So some of the ones that, that are working is um, in, in Joburg, there's a recycling subscription. Mm. So. The guys come the day before your normal um, pick it up comes and mm. they collect a separate bin that's got all your recycling. Mm. You don't have to split it. They'll yeah. do all of that. That's a great you. idea. Yeah, that works That works really well. And they've managed to sort of do that in, in areas. And the second one is they've brought back the, the milk in, in Joking, cars. really? Uh, yeah. So With an electric van. So, so no, I'm not sure about an electric van, but like um, your glass, you, so you, you leave them out and you get your new one, they ring the doorbell and it's, it's done. Um, sure. So some of those have become quite popular again, and I think it's that sort of support local movement mm. that's come about that's, yeah. that's worked, I believe, really well for e-commerce. Um, yeah. But 
but there are a few. I, I'm not sure about pool supplies and stuff because again, you can just get that anywhere. It's mm. almost too general. Well, it's back. It's to your point of not wanting to visit a supermarket yeah. every day, and and just the relax. number of times my my gardener would arrive and go, we don't you know, have the bone meals run out or this has run out, and and often yes, if my home was more organized, I might have a place for him to write the bone meal has run out, mm. get it for next week. But you know the reality is, geez, if I knew it was coming, and he never, we didn't, we didn't have that problem. And particularly pool salt or yeah. chlorine. I often think about I mean, how many pools in South Africa. There must be a, a good number. Um, those sorts of things, I feel like they're going to keep being delivered. Mm. You know, every two months or on some frequency. I, I'm surprised it hasn't penetrated more. I think there's a big opportunity there to avoid exactly what you're saying the, the unnecessary trips to and from. Yeah, I think there's so many great examples of not just subscriptions, but this kind of uh, bite-sized uh, range yeah, delivered yeah. very quickly. And I know more and more people are now talking about Q commerce, which is quick commerce. Um, and there's <laughs> there's a business in the UK called ASAP, which is a great name. Yeah. Uh, but what they do is that they have a, a very small selection of like chocolates and things that you don't normally want to keep in the house because you know you're going to eat them. Yes. Uh, but at 11 o'clock at night when you're... Want you know, to eat them. <laughs> yeah, when all of a sudden you have this craving, they provide a service where they've got a very limited range, but you can literally just on the app order this thing and within 30 minutes your order will arrive even if it's 11 o'clock at night um, so i think in a way to your point a subscription model is kind of like it's restricted it's yeah. contained within you know That's what it is that they frame. offer yeah. and you yeah. will get this yeah. every single month i think a slightly nuanced approach to that is this q commerce mm -hmm. idea where you just offer i suppose guilty pleasures which is not the entire supermarket, it's like a but small hurdle. It's right, like, it's you, a little you, harder to you've get got a small curated selection of guilty pleasures, which you can deliver to a certain region or a certain mm. location within a very short space of time. And I think that's a, an innovation which I think would work well mm. in certain areas of, of the big cities in South Africa. Um, when you were younger, but now it's become the big pick and pay like Fulia, but how it originally started was bottles. So just alcohol delivery after the bottle stores were closed or you were mid-party and right. you were running out of ice or whatever the case is. And yeah. like within, I think it was 45 minutes, they would deliver. And we used that so mm. often. And it, it really did work. It was like, wow, we just desperately need more. Just for ice though. Hey? <laughs> no, just needed more ice. Yeah, just yeah, sure. ice. Because before that, you knew a guy who knew a guy. Yes. And, yeah, but now it's more legit. 100%. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's a great example yeah. uh, because now bottles is bought by pick and pay and now they are delivering. And that was just students that mm. started developing. Yeah. So cool. Sure. Q commerce. John, I mean the joke here, we were trying to make a 20 minute podcast. I think we've been talking for at least an hour. You can edit <laughs> it it's down. Been, but it's been, it's been really very enlightening as it always is. Um, Christy, I don't know if you've got any final questions or kind of punchlines, John, that you want to deliver. but. I think it's just been such a wealth of information. People can listen to it yeah, again 100%. and probably dive into it. I know I will. Um, I, think, I think the only um, thing I was thinking about yesterday when we were sort of prepping for this is we, are, we as Aramex believe we know what the customer experience should be in a perfect world where there's no 
anything else. Mm. Um, and that's obviously where we strive, but that's the here and now versus, you know, what the future is having. And right. in terms of what you think or what you've been exposed to, what will the future customer experience be for, for us as a delivery partner? Mm. Um, I know it obviously differs dependent on, you know, what, what you're selling, mm. but most of the time, you know, whether it's, you know, food, fresh food, or it's, you know, clothes that's arriving, the experience is relatively the same. Mm. So do we think that experience will maintain or become more rigid or more expecting, you know, the unexpected? Right. Are the drones coming? Are the drones coming? <laughs> but specifically in, in Africa, yeah. it's not just the, the Santons, you know, that need yeah. the deliveries now. It's going to be more outlying, more, you know, different to, to what yeah. you're expecting. I'm imagining. Yeah. yeah, I think it's such a great question because it is a question about where you should focus your innovative efforts. Yeah. So how is the consumer changing mm -hmm. uh, and how might you deliver into that change? And I, what, I, what I think is that people are getting more used to convenience. They are being schooled in like ridiculous yes. performance. Uh, performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now you know, there's that Louis C.K. joke <laughs> where he says he was sitting on a plane and the guy was connecting to the Wi-Fi and then it was going to take like five seconds for the... He was like, oh, how can this be? You know? yeah. Five yeah. seconds. And he was like, you're flying at 35,000 feet. Just take a chill plane. Five yeah. seconds. Yeah. And I think that's where people are at. You know, they want things instantaneously. They want their needs serviced right now. Um, so I would say that that's where the consumer mindset is at. Uh, and I would say that it's not just in Santon. I think no. that in Africa in general, there is a level of efficiency which is quite surprising as to how mm. easily and efficient things get done. Uh, and I think if you want to add value into that space, I think the, the innovations that you bring to market have to amplify that um, in order for you to make a difference and in order for people to want to use that service. Um, so that's what I would say is like, really understand where people's heads are at, what are they requiring. Uh, we're talking about this Q commerce thing. I think that that's a great solution to a problem that people clearly have. Yeah. Um, and if you can innovate a system, a process, a solution, which facilitates that uh, and, and help your clients uh, and help business in delivering that kind of efficiency, uh, I think that that's, that's where things are going. I, I mean, I think it's a, it's an interesting topic to, to close on because it's one of our debates has been in you know in the years past there would be eight o'clock services and a ten thirty service and the next day and a this and mm. a that yeah and one can quite easily overcook the delivery uh, service I guess where pool chemicals don't need to be next day if they're right. on subscription right, right? back right. to this kind of it's very commodity specific I think mm. and. You know, you want your ice before it melts, and so there's the time frames that are implicit in the in what's being delivered as well, and therefore the retailers have got some scope in that to decide what what's worth it. Right. What do we need to tr spoil our customers with? Um, and I and I think that's that's a there's no clear answer on this, but yeah. I think there will remain some choice. Where some has to be Q-commerce and instant, and some mm. has to be, and that obviously speaks to a different distribution yeah. model as well. I mean. You can't deliver Q-commerce if it's been warehoused in another city. So, mm. um, 
every business is going to have to solve that challenge as to what does the customer actually need. Yeah. Um, and therefore, how do we distribute from it's that? It's the SAFE example. What is the client actually? A, a service a that is on, on yeah. time, in full, yeah. you know, not late, not delayed, whatever the case is. Mm. And all I need is about 500 chair. Yeah. And then if I need anything else, I just pay a little Add bit it. more. Yeah. Right. Give me my front row seat, you know, whatever the case is. Yeah. Look, I think the opportunity, because your business is that you supply services to other yes. businesses. And I think exactly to your point, Noel, that every business is different every item that gets shipped requires a slightly different way of doing that and i think what's important and this is i suppose a, a topic that the world is moving towards they talk about the customer of one and the customer of one is really uh, an ideal where every single person on the planet understandably have they have different needs uh, every business has different needs and what is required ultimately is that you can absolutely tailor make the solution that you deliver for that person. It's the and ultimate customization. Right, I mean, and technology yeah. will yeah. help. Um, and in a way, we kind of joked about the idea and all that you want a car. The customer of one is that, I don't know, there's some magic technology that kind of can anticipate what it is that you want to buy, what the price point is, what color, all of those kind of things, and then give you the options as to where you can buy that thing Just right deliver now. deliver it today. Away. Just put it yeah. on my driveway. And today. it's already organized the yeah. finance. You know, yeah. it's already organized the insurance and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, so that's yes, that's the ideal. So yeah. if I were to say, well, what would be the ideal situation for Aramex? Uh, it would be for you to have an unbelievable relationship with a client and for you to tailor make mm -hmm. a solution that's right for them. Um, and obviously then deliver that efficiently, cost-effectively, all of those great things. Um, and I, I think it is an ideal because it's difficult to achieve for but all sorts of but reasons. But it's the right direction to be pursued. It's the right, sure. it's the right vision of the future. And I guess maybe that's a, that's a good way of summing it up, is that a futurist is able to nurture the vision of the future that's held by their client yes. and is able to realize that vision. So you as a, as a service provider, if you can nurture the vision that your client has and help them deliver on it, then I think that's a brilliant partnership that, that will be valued and you know, you'd be rewarded for that. John, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for gracing us with your your knowledge and your crystal ball. Anytime. It's been really great uh, <laughs> kicking off this podcast series with you. Thanks very much. Cool. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was great fun. Good. Thanks, cool. guys. Thanks so much. Loved it. Thank you so much for our guests for joining us today and sharing all your knowledge and insights. We thoroughly enjoyed it and we know our audiences did too. And if you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and we're looking very forward to the next one.